Hello guys, uh, welcome to the Blah Blah Bunker. It's been on an extended summer holiday. This is probably the most generous summer holiday that anybody in the world gets. I took this podcast on a break in, I think, June or July last year. And uh, <clears throat> now summer is finally over. And uh, uh, I'm going to start doing like a monthly episode now, not a weekly like I did before. I'm a little bit busy with other stuff. I've managed to carve out a career in rock and roll without being able to play any rock and roll so I need to put some effort into that and uh, yeah I have a guest here my first guest on this rebound um, I think has an interesting story or at least it's interesting to me and I hope it's going to be interesting to you um, can you state your name and rank <laughs> name and rank are you taking me prisoner of war yeah <laughs> uh, Alex Alderman I guess I'm an American expat first class yeah <laughs> what does first class mean? Uh, better than third class, better than second class. Okay. <laughs> um, so, the military kind of thing and prisoner of war thing is, uh, I use that on purpose. I mean, you, you, you're you a former military man, right? Uh, I did five years in the, uh-huh. yeah, the U.S. Marines, yeah. And Marines, what is that? Like, what's the type of soldiers you can be in the U.S.? Yeah, sure. So, you can... Uh, you can fly planes, uh, I guess, as the Air Force. You can uh, be on boats as a Navy. You can be uh, in tanks on the ground as, as a soldier in the Army, or you can kind of do all three in the Marines. Yeah. Uh huh. And and you did you fight? I mean, did you go to a battlefield or? or? Uh, I went to a pretty scary place uh, called uh, Hawaii. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I worked. I worked there for uh, a few years, and no, I actually didn't go. I didn't deploy at all. I was very, very lucky. Yeah. And what do you do? I mean, now you're not a military man. What do you do now? Like, what's your, what do you live from? Sure. Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a tech copywriter. Uh huh. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Um, I create uh, web copies. I write the text for websites, and I also do um, social media content for uh, Czech tech companies. Mm-hmm. So IT companies, devel- software development companies, and SaaS and that kind of stuff. About their products then, or, or solutions, and, and uh, or HR, like, um, let's say, what do you, what do you call it, like, uh, when they're branding themselves to get employees, or to sell their products, or? Yeah, I mean, just really, really, the brief way to say it is whenever they need text in English, wherever, it's, mm. it's, it's, I do that. Uh, I, I mostly focus on, uh, first of all, the, the text that's on their websites, so if they're making a new website, or they're um, starting, I guess, a new product, or a new, new service they're selling, you know, you have to tell people about it, and I'm the one that helps them tell it uh, in the best way possible. So, And is that something you learned in the military? No. <laughs> you, you know, that's actually an interesting question. It's definitely not the uh, application of the skills um, that I learned, but it's, you know, I learned how to write good emails in the military. I yeah. I, <laughs> I, was, I was very much an, an office worker in the military, so I learned how to be a good office worker, which I guess is, is relevant to my uh, my life now. Yeah. I guess, like, what people don't know about military is that they're behind, you know, not everyone is out shooting a gun or, or, or driving a tank. You know, there's a it's a huge industry, you know, like it has offices and organizations and HR and payroll and, and whatever, you know? Yeah, it's, it's huge. <laughs> and, but, but how did you end up here? I mean, what... what uh, In Prague specifically? Yeah, yeah so... Uh, one one really good thing about the military is it's very um, it's very scripted. Like you know, someone tells you what to do the entire time, so it tells you where move, to move the mic a little bit closer to you. Sure, Just sure, sure. 
Yeah. So, so you, you get told where to live, you know, uh, what your job will be, and uh, pretty much your entire life is kind of, kind of dictated to you. And so when I got out of the military, I did the college thing. And then uh, after that, I got um, kind of started a career in basic retail sales. And I realized that I absolutely hated that. And if I did that for 40 years, I'd probably jump off a building. Mm. And so uh, in, in kind of a way, in multiple areas of my life, it kind of uh, crashed a bit. And to kind of reset things, I just decided to try a different country. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, I, I ended up in Prague. And why Prague? What did you know about the country and city before? N- nothing. So before I came here, I dated a Czech girl uh, like four months. One of those really intense and uh, quickly ending relationships. And when, <laughs> when when it ended, it ended like really badly. Um, I I just had, you know, I was going to travel Europe, the very cliched mid-20s thing. Um, and I had, I think, three months yeah, three months in Europe for like the the free visa, and uh, went to Spain first because I spoke a little bit of Spanish. Um, ended up in Bulgaria, <laughs> and then uh, for the last two weeks of my trip, uh, I picked Prague because you know I dated this Czech girl, and if any, anything good happened in Prague, I can say you know, oh the relationship was awful, but because she was Czech, I went to Prague, and whatever good thing came from that, I can say well if I didn't have that relationship with that girl, then this good thing would have never happened, and mm. it kind of created a uh you're justifying your misery of staying with her oh absolutely Uh uh-huh absolutely no um so i went to prague only for for two weeks um i met uh someone who uh they thought they needed a a english teacher pretty pretty i guess well-to-do person and um they flew me back out for a three-month short gig uh like six months later Mm. and during that six-month gig is when i uh, met my wife and then uh, I came, I came and moved here to be with her, and it was um, it was not supposed to be like that. So we we started dating. I mean, I told her I was interested in her, uh, maybe six weeks before I left, and she was very polite and said, "Oh no, that's I don't feel that way at all." <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, "Okay, well, that's interesting," and um, so I kind of wrote it off, and uh, we we enjoyed hanging out, and we kind of hung out until. Till that six weeks was up and I was ready to go home. And like three days before I went home, she's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I didn't mean to, but yeah, no, I guess I feel the same way too. And you know, I tried to play it very cool of, oh, you know, well, you know, let's just, let's just play it cool. Let's, um, you know, I'm going to go home and we'll, we'll talk. And, you know, if we feel this way in a year, maybe we can like, I don't know, think of something to do. And I, I made it like two and a half months before I bought a one-way ticket back here. So, Wow. That's that's big. I mean, like you moved continents, and mean, and how how is that for for your friends and family back in the U.S.? Like when you tell them, yeah, I'm in Bulgaria. Like for us in Europe, you know, the stereotype is that Americans don't even know where Mexico is. Well, they know that now because of the border, but you know what I mean. Like when you tell your friends and family, yeah, I'm in Bulgaria, are they like scared or are they excited or are they sure? So there's like no one I keep in contact with in the U.S. No, no. Uh, I I never was really super close to my my parents, um, and I guess you know, like I said, I was in Hawaii in the military. I left home at like eighteen, and we found that the best state of our relationship with me and my parents is to have at least just just one ocean in between. Well, just just a little 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 wiggle pond. room, yeah, yeah. A little, just a little little space between us. Um, and you know, I had I had friends before I left, and there wasn't uh, a lot of those connections that it didn't last. Mm. Um, 
yeah, so, but, you know, if I talk about Bulgaria, obviously no one, the average person I would talk to wouldn't know where that is on the map. I think by this point I could find it on a map. Yeah, I'm not sure I could. <laughs> Although, no, if it wasn't marked, you know, like, yeah. I, I know where to look, but I'm not sure I could pick it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember when I was flying to Prague from Bulgaria, there was, um, I had a stop in, in Belgrade. Mm. And I was like, I don't know what country I'm in. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I for, I'm in a city. I don't even know what what country this this is in. Um, so yeah, so American geographic education is is not is not top tier. Uh, I'd say American education in general is not super top tier. And uh, not sure if it's getting any better. But I guess that's a whole different podcast. But yeah, but <clears throat> but on that though, I mean, like um, you say that it's not a good. Is it because the people are just not interested, or is it just because the school doesn't tell them? Ah, uh, the greatest nation on earth. You know, why should they be interested in someone else? Um, so there, I think there's that. I mean, America is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just economically, but it's a physically a large place, right? Um, so you know, if you if you live in in the UK or Iceland or something, you know, you don't have to. You can you can go to where someone speaks a completely different language without too big of a travel, mm. right? I mean, especially if you're actually on continental Europe, right? So if, you, if you're in France, you can go a little bit to, to Germany or to Spain and you can have this international experience, you know, with a several-hour car ride, mm. you know, depending where you live in the country. Um, so in the U.S., obviously, most people speak mostly the same language uh, mm. everywhere in the country, but there are different cultures. There's different sections of the country, and so you're really able to get this traveling um experience uh you'll be able to visit other places without technically leaving your country it's just a Mm. really really big place so i I think that's that's the most generous answer i can give of why uh, americans seem pretty content with uh not not having much um uh knowledge about other places in the world Mm. but so it's not like the stereotype that americans are stupid is i mean untrue stereotypes are there for a reason mm. uh, uh there's a lot of the, if you think about the average intelligence person there's like half the people are even less intelligent than that so i mean it's yeah. every, every place has got um plenty of people who maybe have um reserving their brain capacity to just kind of get through the day mm. <laughs> not a lot of extra to learn where belgrade is yeah but so so you said that your relationship with your parents works best when there's an ocean between. Uh-huh. That's, uh, I mean, and you're not old. I mean, how old are you? Like 35, turning to 36 in a second. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so your parents are probably in their, like they're around 60 or something, right? Yeah, mid 60s, yeah. And you, you're the only kid, or? Uh, no, I had, a, I had a younger brother, but he uh, he died a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And, by, and why is that, uh, why do you need an ocean between you and the parents? Um, I'm not sure if I, I need it. Um, it's just that when uh, we never really switched, because you know, you have when you're a kid, you have that parent-child relationship. Yeah. And then at some point, uh, hypothetically, uh, not, that you you transition into just kind of being two adults, or like having your relationship mature into where you see them not just as a, a parental figure, but also just another human being, and. Um, we never really, we never really made that switch. Like I, I really don't know my parents very much. They don't really know me very much, and so we can have like very generic uh, parent-kid conversations of, you know, how's the weather over there, or like, 
sending pictures of, of their grandkids and stuff. But like, as far as what I'm interested in or what they're interested in, we really don't know. And, um, you know, I, I've tried to, to be the one who kind of tries to push that transition a little bit. And uh, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that that's something that they're really interested in. And so it kind of made my piece of that. And um, yeah. Where where are you from? Like where in the States? Sure. So born in Northern California in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. I spent there. I was there for about eight years just and then we moved to Atlanta, like suburbs of Atlanta. So I, I mostly grew up in the south in, in Atlanta, Georgia. But I was in California long enough not to pick up the the accent. So, uh -huh. yeah. and 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 what kind of family were you or like? Just sure, yeah, yeah. So we it was very interesting because we we started uh, quite poor, but my dad got a really really good job when I started. I don't know, late middle school, early high school. Mm -hmm. So I we got to kind of transition into like uh, more of the the middle class lifestyle, like. You know, while I could remember it, so I got to kind of watch that that transition. So that was really interesting. Um, because we moved, you know, from from the West Coast to the East Coast, we were very kind of isolated. I mean, we didn't have extended family around us, um, and so that was. I mean, I, I think uh, so. So that that kind of shapes, you know, that kind of affects you because you don't you don't have your aunts, you don't have those uncles, you don't have the grandparents, and so it's just kind of just that 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 core family. Mm. Yeah. And what did what did they do? I mean, like middle class sure. income. Yeah. So we, like I said, uh, we lived in the the suburbs. My dad was um, in sales, so he still he still is. He got up pretty high position in a furniture selling company. So he's, I don't know exactly his title. He actually retires uh, this year, actually. So mm. big year for him. Um, but you know, he he was in retail sales, so you know he worked every weekend. Um, I had two days off in the middle of the week sometime, and, uh, and yeah, and then my mom was she stayed at home, and um, yeah, that's about it. And what kind of kid were you? What kind of kid was I? I was the I was always pretty smart, mm. um, and I kind of went from I guess when I was younger, like uh, early middle school, I was uh, pretty socially awkward, so I had um, no problem with with like. The tasks of school, like uh, the assignments and stuff like that, I got pretty good grades. But I could not figure out the whole uh, how to make friends thing and how to, um, I don't know, get girls to like me kind of thing. I guess mm -hmm. it's pretty normal, but those are the things that kind of stand out in, in my mind. Um, in high school, I went just full-blown weird. You know, I started dyeing my hair different colors. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still made pretty good grades in the first couple of years and then uh, almost failed out the last two years of high school. Mm. Uh, started uh, playing playing too many game, video games and smoking pot every day and um, not really a really good formula for success during those years, yeah. When you say socially awkward, you know, not good at making friends, I mean, like, in do you think that you, you were limited some, or, or you know what I mean? Like, what, what, because we're all awkward somehow, you know? Sure. No, I um, like I said, I, I imagine my experience isn't too atypical mm. as far as being socially awkward. Um, you know, we all kind of have a combination of instinct instincts and um, things we learned from home, and I'd say my um, you know the combination of those things was 
for whatever reason, I, I ended up on the, the weird, socially awkward group of kids. Mm. <laughs> but were you bullied then? or A little. I was a little overweight um, when I was like in, in elementary school, so that doesn't help. And then I got um, in decent shape in late elementary, late middle school, early high school. And then uh, kind of throughout my life, I've gone from kind of heavy to fit to heavy to fit. So I've experienced both of those those conditions. And uh, yeah. But you're tall. I am tall. And so, I mean, it, it would have been hard to bully you. Uh, no, no, no. I was very, very um, afraid of confrontation. Uh-huh. Like, you know, it's, it's not just about physical size. It's, you know, you can tell by their eyes or you can tell by their body language of, of whether or not that it'd be easy or difficult to bully people. And um, I, I don't know what, what vibes I was given off, but it was given off the you should bully me vibes. So yeah. <laughs> and other people heard those loud and clear. So so when you started tying your hair and, and that stuff, was that like, a, I don't know, like was it to try to belong to a certain group or was it to stand out from the other group, you know? Um, I don't know. I I don't know how much rationale goes into decisions that 14 and 15 year olds make, but uh, I thought it was cool. <laughs> and you know, now I don't really have much hair left, but like, I would I would really like to uh, to, to go back in that moment and be able to to go with uh, experimenting hair colors again. That sounds that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, and then what? You you so you, I mean, you do good education wise. I mean, you 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 obviously have skills for that but you're you're struggling socially and how how was that then in in the relationship with the parents and your brother and you know in the home how how was that yeah so um i was the i would say easy kid mm. uh, my brother was uh three years younger than me uh he did not do well in school um he was uh, more really really had a trouble with peer pressure so he would he was he was athletic. He did sports, and he was really, I'd say, probably better socially than I was at being able to find out what people around him wanted from him. And uh, he was pretty good at uh, kind of living, uh, you know, going through those expectations, right? So he had a lot more trouble with like skipping class or just um, uh, sneaking out in the middle of the night or stuff like that. So he 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 was um, he gave my parents a little bit of headaches. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, growing up. So they were not strict on you or any. There was no pressure from them on you. Not then. at all. Like way too much in the opposite direction. So I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. Um, so I and it was very much uh, spoiled, right? So I didn't. I didn't have any chores. Um, I didn't have to like. I never cooked in my life until I started dating, and uh, I never ate vegetables in my life until I started like. My my early girlfriends, like God bless them, they basically tra- trained me <laughs> in all the basic uh, things you're supposed to know as a, and as an adult. But you were potty trained, though. I mean, like I was potty trained. Yeah. I got that way. I, I got <laughs> that far. Yeah. But how? But, but this is interesting because you're saying like that they they didn't put pressure on, they didn't put any uh, let's say duties or or expectations to you in this sense. But on the other hand, you're struggling with that relationship somehow. The power dynamic of of that relationship now in your more in your adult age or or somehow do you know what I mean? It's sure no, is is I think it's pretty consistent. So basically, um, they had their life and their struggles and their worries, and mm. they kind of focused on that, and they left me to kind of have my life and my worries and my struggles, and uh, I kind of learned. Like it never even occurred to me that um, 
you know, I, I have kids now, and uh, or second one on the way, but I have a kid. You have one and a half. One and a half, yeah. <laughs> and um, through through dating and through, you know, I'm married, so seeing how my wife interacts with her family, like, I thought everything was, was quite normal, like, and it was really weird that these people, like, would talk to their parents <laughs> multiple times a week, and uh, so, so it wasn't like um, I felt as a kid that I had something abnormal, mm. uh, but, you know, looking back now, now that I have kids, it's like, I do wonder, you know, you know those those that inner child where you're like, did they did they care about me at all, or were they interested in, in what was going on in my life or what I was thinking? Uh, I, I still have those still questions. And I still kind of struggle with that to this mm. day. Yeah, but I think also this is like moving away from your home country is such a valuable experience because I I felt that when I moved from Iceland to Denmark and I started making friends in Denmark and I I got invited to their you know, birthday parties and stuff like that. And I would see, you know, like their families, everyone was welcome, everyone had like a normal conversation. And I thought, okay, well, back in my family, we, it takes five minutes and then we disagree about something or we fight or whatever, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I I don't know if it's a difference between, because I've, Iceland is, is more American than it is European. Mm-hmm. We unfortunately suck up almost every bad thing we can from American culture and and um, whereas I feel in Europe they are more kind of they have healthier and more normal relationships somehow do, do you think do you think what you were experiencing in in your childhood or, or yeah within your family was a standard American thing somehow or you, you know what I mean sure well I mean I've lived in Europe now for seven years so a little bit experienced of the different cultures um, and I would say that just on general, Americans are much more independent, mm. um, much more individualistic. So that, that that's certainly part of it, and it, it it may be a factor where, as a as what as Europe becomes more normal for me, mm. these kind of differences in, in culture become more apparent, and like I forget that the culture I'm living in now is not my native culture, and mm-hmm. that these these differences may be just the reverse culture shock of living somewhere away yeah. from home for a long time. And you know, part of the story is is difficult because um, I'm pretty pretty comfortable talking about difficult things in my life, but I don't know exactly how comfortable I am kind of putting my uh, parents' business out there. Mm. But I, I will say, just to make the story a little bit more coherent, that my my parents both individually struggled with uh, challenges, some mental health stuff, some substance uh, abuse stuff. So th- you know, it's it's. Not something I talk about very often, and now that the you know we're recording, <laughs> a part of my brain shift, shifted to like uh, you should be really really careful of what you say. So, uh, but I, I do want to, to make the story coherent. I, I will say that uh, there were definitely some pretty big challenges as a kid, that uh, you know based on conversations that we've had before this this podcast would, would maybe make a little bit more sense that uh, I did have some pretty big struggles uh, growing up, and that there there are reasons that I I live an ocean away <laughs> that, that aren't just uh, you know, well, we never found out how to talk to each other. It was, it was, it was more than that, but um, mm. yeah. Like, uh, but on, uh, I don't know. Like, um, when you say that they had their challenges, those were more maybe affecting you in a way that they didn't have time for you. Yeah, yeah. Versus, in some, like, a lot of people have parents that have issues with either you know alcohol or substance or what or mental mental or whatever but that kind of translate into direct abuse you know like uh either m- mental or physical or whatever 
so that that's not in your case. It's more that you were left to your own device, or, or... Um, I was never hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any abuse that I had was more on the mental side, and again, I wouldn't say that I was mentally abused, as in like an action verb. That uh, I would say that I have some uh, some trauma from <laughs> just the environment that we were living in. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they they fought a lot. My parents fought a lot. Um, <clears throat> and there was this weird dynamic to where. Um, so, so my mom, I, I'm uncomfortable saying that my mom's dad was a full-blown heroin addict. So mm-hmm. she, she grew, I mean, her whole life from before she was born until he died, you know, at, when she was an adult. So she's got some pretty typical issues that came from that. And, and one of them was that um, she's very, she was very, she, when she had kids, when she had me and my brother, she finally found a group of people that would always love her no matter what. And so that she very much protected that need of hers by never risking um, us not liking her or us not um, mm-hmm. feeling that she was she was the best person in the world. So that translated into never having to do chores, never having to um, never have to go pick up after ourselves or cook meals for ourselves or help around the house. Um, but at a cost, right? Because the cost was, um, um, I don't know. She, like, it affected my brother more than me. So, like, I, uh, she would. Hmm. So I'm drawing a blank, not because I don't know what happened, because I don't know how to describe it in a podcast-friendly way. But she was, um. She was just a very smother mother, I guess is the way to say it. So, mm. um, and she was very, she she never went to to get diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure now with my very rudimentary knowledge of psychology that she's probably um, borderline or some, some cluster B. Um, What's that? Sure. So she uh, had difficult kind of regulating her emotions and she might go from uh, very much like, um, she would she would go from you kids are 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 the best and you're everything to me and you mean so much to me to I don't know why you hate me and I do everything nice for you and you mm-hmm. treat me you treat me so badly and just kind of like a bi- in a in a way a bipolar in in that ballpark yeah mm. um but but basically she would um she's very 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 emotionally manipulative to the point I, I would not guess that she uh, knows that about herself, mm-hmm. right? Because I have some of this too, where I don't. I notice it more now as an adult, um, but even to to my wife in business, I can see, and it's to my great advantage, honestly, in business. But like, I have this toolkit. I I, I have this toolkit of um, seeing my actions, predicting how people respond, both emotionally and just through their actions. And kind of working backwards, so like, hmm, uh, I don't like how I don't like what they did, or I don't like how they made me feel. So um, I want them to know that. And so if 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 I wanted them if they if I wanted them to feel bad or guilty, then this action would help me. And it's it's not this is called being manipulated. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. It's <laughs> it, it doesn't happen like it's 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 completely subconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that but that's that's maybe because that's the only way she has been. Sure. And that she comes from an environment that, that that's the Absolutely. only way that 
was to be. So, and I think that, you know, because it's often, and I think everyone, like, or a lot of people, we have, everyone has parents, first of all. Mm-hmm. We don't happen in a vacuum. And, uh, and our parents bring something into our families that is shaped by their past and their parenting and, and so on. And I, I, I think it's a, we, I think sometimes we have un, not unfair, unfair ideas about how parents should be, that they should be some sort of a perfection. I remember where like parents should not be having sex and if they do, we shouldn't hear them. You like, sure. and they should not do this. They shouldn't get drunk. They shouldn't do like now you're a parent yeah. and, and you know you're you're still the flawed person that you were before you became a parent you still have all the things that are that make you you and you and you can't silence them and and i think like it's it's such an interesting thing that and i don't think it's just it's not about what opinion you have your but i think us as a society we are somehow expecting parents it's like with politicians they should never tr- drink and drive. Yeah. But well, there's just a certain percentage of the population that drinks and drive, and that doesn't ask about name and rank. You know, it just happens to whomever. You know. Yeah. And and I so it's interesting with 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 parents. The, the question is more also than for us, what do we do with it? You know, how do we? Right. And like it sounds like you are, you are aware of this trait mm-hmm. that you have, and you try to rather use it in a positive way to your advantage instead of in a negative way? Uh, it wasn't as conscious as that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, that most of my awareness has come in the last um, several years. And uh, at that point, most of the habits and most of the the ways that I interact with the world and with other people were pretty established. Mm-hmm. It's more that you can kind of um, see a little bit of it. I, I think when I, I, so I've been married now for five years. Uh, and the the first early couple of years of the relationship were really difficult, um, and you know we we definitely almost divorced. Um, we we're like in a constant state of almost divorcing for for several years, and through through working through that, um, going through individual uh, counseling and um, our version of of marriage counseling, we we kind of identified some of these things and. Um, yeah, and so kind of having um, a really clear environment where I can see how my actions were affecting someone else and uh, kind of how some of my actions were being perceived, you know, I can kind of see what was a lot of it was subconscious of, of how um, I was acting maybe different than normal people acted, right? So I kind of I kind of figured that out. But that's why you're here. 30s. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that about you. Yeah. You know, like you're not you're not uh, carved from the same stone like everybody else, you know. Uh-huh. But but on the other hand, I mean, like what you're saying is that okay, so you you have this issue with your wife, like, and you need to get help. It's very tempting not to get help, and it's very tempting to say I'm right, you're wrong. And 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 not seeing like seeing things for what they are and see how your uh, behavior affects or traits affect another person, you know? Yeah, it was so easy to do that I did it all the time. <laughs> no, uh, so I I have uh, I have BPD. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I have a borderline personality disorder, mm. and um, that is uh, really really difficult for other people to to deal with, and. Um, it was really, it was a kind of a race against time. So 
I was married when I was 20. It was like... <laughs> what? You were married before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was around take two. Yeah. Uh, I was married from 20 to 23. And that was, oh my God, I feel so bad for this person. Uh, we're not in contact anymore. But if we were, like, I would have very, very heartfelt apologies to make. Um, yeah. I, I was absolutely a terrible husband. And uh, I wish... Um, I, I hope that any any <laughs> trauma from that relationship she's been able to work through. But uh, no, I mean, uh, how? Yeah, how, how terrible? Uh, like, like pretty bad. Um, violent? No, 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 no. Sorry, yeah, no, no, not violent. Um, basically, just this this expectation. Because again, I come from a family where I wasn't expected to do anything, and I was in the military, so I was the one making the money, and I was also twenty. To be fair, mm-hmm. but like basically. I'm doing my part by going to work. Everything else is up to you. Uh-huh. I'm just very much like in that um, very stereotypical, misogynistic type mm. approach to to a relationship. Um, also, I was BPD and didn't know it, <laughs> so uh, just very much um, just just difficult in, in in pretty much every sense of the word. But again, like I didn't, I wasn't aware of it at all, and like I didn't really have. I've never seen a functional relationship, like. Uh, romantic relationship in my life and so basically that i didn't i kind of winged it you had no template <laughs> no template or well, i had a template unfortunately mm. and i used that template and it turns out that it's not a great template mm. <laughs> yeah but how how does this uh, borderline personality disorder i mean how how does that come out you know like what, what okay so what is it i mean like or how does it uh, break out for you sure um the, the easiest way to explain it is uh, there are times where we have a disagreement and I know I'm right. Not like I think I'm right, but like I'm 100% sure that you did something against me and I'm not being, I'm not overreacting. I'm not being emotional. It's clear. Fact. That, fact. 100%. One plus one equals two. And if you don't see that, then like, I don't know what to tell you because one plus one always equals two. Mm. And it, clearly what you did was wrong clearly if any objective person looked at the situation mm-hmm. they would say i was right <laughs> and if they don't say that i was right then they're clearly not an objective person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i don't okay and um and and basically to see kind of every every confrontation that way or every disagreement that way anything that 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 you don't like about my behavior is you're being extremely unfair you're persecuting me uh you're <laughs> it, it just is just not a good starting point to to have a um an equitable relationship with someone um and it, it's you know anyone listening that has knowledge of bpd will not will say that as not a good definition and it's more complicated than that and it is um but is 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 there a big difference between what you just described now and and let's say narcissistic behavior for example i mean they're, they're both cluster b so they're both in sorry uh-huh. they're, they're both cousins <laughs> uh-huh yeah because you you described a lot of people that i know now sure and uh, <laughs> yeah i i don't think uh i don't i don't think cluster b personality disorders are contagious but if we found out that they were it would not it would not be a big shock to me <laughs> I, and i guess you know because a lot of it is um not just hereditary but also based on your childhood environment it, in a way that it, it, it is contagious uh yeah, and yeah. I mean, and if you look at it now, I mean, <clears throat> I think with uh, the way that society is developing now, especially, I mean, now when we say so society, we we're talking about the Western world, sure, 
not talking about the people that are actually working and are going to take over after some time. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about us, the spoiled uh, Westerners. We are, in, in my mind, like, we are actually building a society that is making everyone who is, let's say, uh, infectable in a mm-hmm. way, we're going to turn them into narcissists because we're giving people now, I mean, people that are growing up with social media their whole life, they walk around with the idea that their idea is the, the, the right one and the only right one. And then we put them into that echo chamber where they follow only people that agree with them and they block out people that disagree with them. So you're actually kind of reinforcing constantly this idea that this is the reality of the world. You know, like, yeah, people, I don't know, like abortion should be banned or um, um, Putin is bad or Trump is evil or whatever, you know, whatever. And and there is just no way, like, if you take take Trump, for, for example... If the guy would cure cancer now, we would not give him credit for that. Even if that would be the greatest thing that anybody did, we we just there is a certain group of people that is so fanatic about their idea of that their ideas are better than ours and or others. And uh, so I think I see a rise in this what you're describing in in terms of you know you know personality disorder and and, and narcissism that it's and we're feeding it. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, you know. I'm, I'm really, I'm afraid of this because we're. It's almost like people are splitting in half, and 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 they after some time they they just won't be able to coexist, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. So um, <laughs> deep down this rabbit hole, you want to go, but uh, it's almost we have time. Yeah, we've got time. Um, let's let's say how do how do I say it? so. It's 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 on purpose. Like it's it's um, it's psychological warfare. And uh, before people, I'm not. I know you can't. I know it's not a video podcast. But if 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 people could see, I am not actually wearing a tinfoil hat right now. <laughs> but um, <coughs> you, so you think about the state of of politics in the U.S. And so it's a, a kind of a first past the post situation where you know you've got basically a red team and a blue team, and they're desperate to get fifty one percent of the people to agree with them. Right. Mm. And so, you know, at, at one point there was let's let's say some good ideas. And if, you know, 51 percent of people say, I agree that this is a good idea, then obviously it's the it's a superior idea. And then we'll do that. Right. And, you know, the concept of, of democracy and that the kind of um, good ideas will fight in the marketplace of ideas and they'll win. And this is an effective system for finding effective solutions to problems. Right. That suit the majority. Sure. Well, that's not the world we live in anymore. So we live in a world now where it's just full-blown psychological warfare to get as many people possible to vote for either the red team or the blue team. And that to accomplish that, there's no limit to like what kind of mimetic warfare um, they'll, they'll kind of do to people, right? So it doesn't really, we're past the point of like policy ideas where here's a problem, here's the best way to fix it. Because we we tried that and people don't care and people aren't interested enough in policies that they'll go and vote and ha, you know have favorite candidates because they have the best ideas. So in a way, it's kind of uh, a reinforcing thing where the politicians get the people they deserve and then the people get the politicians they deserve and then it's just a complete uh, broken mess. 
and that's just kind of where we are now and that this kind of fallout of two groups kind of fighting for power have pretty much psychologically broken probably over 50% of the you know population it's not great i would say so <laughs> Well, you because now you you have the luxury of looking at this from from the outside. Let's say, I mean, yeah. like, um, and and for me, like, it's it, the U.S. is just kind of collapsing into some sort of a sure. shit show, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and 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 for me, a lot it it looks from from for from the let's say the guest's eye that a lot of the dialogue is not about, as you said, something that actually benefits the majority of people or is about uh, making everyone's life a little bit better but it's very much the dialogue is very much on fringe matters that and i and it makes you often wonder like is it on purpose is it kept like that because that i'm thinking sometimes i think okay when i look at this i think do these people that control the narrative and you know like we have to face it that mainstream media or like main the, our legacy media let's call it like that the legacy media is very much dependent on government and dependent on big business because they lost the subscribers that you know when the internet came then you know people like my parents and me we stopped paying for a newspaper subscription or a cable tv subscription or whatever because the information became free so they had to kind of alter the business model and and harvest us as readers to a much larger extent than they did before. And so there is it's it's so obvious that there is a there is a much better relationship between politics and media than than ever was, you know, like media used to kind of be keeping the politicians in check, but now they're kind of just spreading their their gospel. But the stuff they're talking about is always and I I think if it's like they talk about gender for example and 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 uh, um, gender identity and stuff like that, and I think, okay, is are they are they putting that out because ninety nine percent of people are concerned about this? The answer to that is obviously no, because a lot of people just don't care about this. It doesn't mean that they hate people that care about it, but it's just not something that matters to them. They want to have a job, they want to put food on the table, the kids to school. They're not thinking about whether someone has a pussy or a dick, and they don't give a shit. And then they they take um, like. Some really like racism, for example, that that's kept very much there, and and everything is turned into racism and white supremacist and stuff like that. And these, and I think these topics are very relatable. Everybody understands them. We can all say, okay, white versus black, dick versus pussy. It's super super easy, and everyone can engage in that conversation. But we cannot all engage in how complex is the atmosphere and what effect CO2 has on it and uh, how is the wo- why is the war in Ukraine like it is? Did we maybe do something to cause it? Are we stimulating it by putting money in there? You know, the big things, the wealth transfer during COVID that people are talking about, yet that, you know, like, yeah, this was the biggest wealth transfer in the world. These are economically very complex matters that most people, especially in the U.S., they just don't even have time to think about it or educate themselves. But everybody can go to the cantina and, and fight about dick and pussy, you know. Am I, do, do you get my... I get what you're saying. Um, so I think there's a lot of things going on here. I think there is 
uh, an economics part of it. I think there's a class part of it. And um, so I guess we can do economics first. So when, I mean, if you think about um, the late 20th century after the Second World War, you know, the U.S. kind of just took off. It was really, really boom times for the U.S. And so, every, you know, there was enough growth that, you know, the pie was getting bigger for everyone. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even if you were, you know, at the top of the, the financial hierarchy and you were making tons of money, you didn't, you could, everyone else could make money too because there was enough money to go around, right? And so when things kind of started, the economy started to crash, now, you know, the pie is no longer getting bigger. And so instead of people focusing on just um, improving their slice through just the entire pie getting bigger, you know, the, the people at the top of the financial hierarchy now, they're not going to stop making money just because the economy is bad. Mm. But now instead of just making money because there's growth and because there's, there's um, economic expansion, now it's, it's forced to turn to taking other people's slice of the pie, right? So it, people, people who, are, who are successful are going to make money no matter what environment they're in. So it's just a matter of whether everyone makes money or if the the successful people are basically having Taking to Taking part taking of it. our stuff, sure. yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So I, I think that's that's um and then when that happens, right? How do you get how do you stop people from um storming back storming the capital, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, the, there's a couple of um couple of approaches to that and uh obviously them fighting against each other. Uh, is is pretty beneficial to the to that situation, mm. and then so okay so say there's disadvantaged groups, right? So you and you you and you're in the 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 advantaged group, so you could try to make things um, more and more equitable. You can try to say let's let's fix the the disadvantages, or you can just basically have this. Um, well, let's let's just admit that it's it's bad for them, and let's just. Let's just pity them and let's just make them a like pseudo protected class, and it, you don't improve their situation at all, but you just kind of uh, reify them that oh this is the very special group and you know if you were you know if you were a minority or if you were um, whether that's sexual minority racial minority or anything like that you know would you want better economic future or would you want to be talked about in the New York Times you know. In every single post, right? Mm. So if you ask them, it's probably be like, "Hey, can we actually just have like <laughs> good economic opportunities?" It's like, "No, but you know, we will make sure that uh, everyone feels feels guilty that you don't have them." Is that is that good enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but that's also for the ones who 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 portrays them like that. Like it's such an easy thing to be a good person today. I don't even need to do anything nice. I can just put a Ukrainian flag in my LinkedIn sure. profile and then I'm good. Sure. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, virtue is so cheap t- today and, and, and I think like, uh, you know, like you can go on publicly somewhere and just talk about a certain topic and that, uh, that kind of wipes away all your sins. You might be a rapist and, but you're good because you're supporting the right thing. I think this goes back to what we're talking about with, with politics where the, to stay legitimately in power in the public's eyes, you know, you've got to win these 51% elections, right? And so to do that, you need to have groups of people uh, in your coalition, right? And so, and the way it usually works is that we will um, 
put put these these disadvantaged groups on some kind of pedestal so that they will vote for us because mm-hmm. you know the other group is not you know sanctifying <laughs> uh, other groups of people right? and we are so obviously you should vote for us and so you have these kind of like slash half pity half like bribery of just saying okay if you if you want to be on the winning team no problem but you have to be loyal you have to vote for us and you have to be obedient mm-hmm. right and obedience is a big part of this so um and the way you can test this is right so say that there's some protected minority again i don't when i say minority i don't just mean racial it could be lots of different things okay so say um Say say the, the 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 flavor of the week is we love we love tall people, okay tall people tall people with borderline personality yeah, disorders yeah exactly yes. exactly let's make that group they they are a special special class of people and if you say anything bad about how tall they are or about how <laughs> how uh, emotionally unstable they are then you are a bad person mm. okay and if a tall emotionally unstable person says uh, actually they actually have a pretty good point about the unstable thing. Okay, so now we have a now we have an impasse because the group says that these people need to be listened to. These people need to be respected for their wisdom and their unique perspective. But as soon as they those that individual disagrees mm. with the people in power, then uh, well, obviously, you know they've been infiltrated by the um, the short wing <laughs> fringe media, or they've been um, they're having you know short person conspiracy theories or. So it's you can you can tell when the protected class ever disagrees with the the sponsors mm. how the sponsors actually feel mm. and it's not about uh, this <laughs> it's about power and it's it's always about power and it's about obedience mm. to power and so you know in I, I'd say a perspective that you don't hear very often is maybe that's okay <laughs> like. We are more aware of how much the the government kind of shapes society and tries to control. You can say control the narrative. You can mm. say kind of. Mm. But I mean, is that really? It's nothing new. It's nothing new. No, first of no, all, no. and it's it, just visible now. It's visible now, and it's it's being, you know, it's never fights. You know, big political revolutions are usually very very rarely. Uh, the elites versus the the underclass, right? Because it's, it's never a contest. That's never a threat to the elite. It's always the 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 top five percent want to be in the top one percent, mm. and so we're going to use the bottom ninety five percent as a weapon against you, mm-hmm. right? So it's never like oh the <laughs> the general population is now much more aware on their own, and they've they found out the the excesses of government. It's no, it's it's other people who. Aren't as they're higher up in the pyramid. Yeah, know? they don't have as much power as they'd like, but still very much elite. Mm-hmm. Are going to tell all the the secrets and all the all the shady things that the top one percent are doing, mm-hmm. so that the you know the bottom ninety five percent throw them out, so that they can put the the other elites in, and then they'll just do the same thing with the other. Over group time, did. yeah, I agree, yeah. and and it's it's actually an interesting thing because, uh, uh, you know, I'm almost fifty, so I've kind of lived through a time where th- there was, I mean, obviously a big society change and technolo- technology change and all that. But I also seen a huge political change. And and I, I remember like 20 years ago or some, uh, something like that, I read an article in the newspaper where it was saying like social democrat 
they have, let's say, their purpose is ex- has been exhausted. You know, they, there is no need for them anymore. We have secured the rights of the working class. You know, they're not being exploited in terms of hours. There is, and now I'm talking Europe. You know, there is minimum wage everywhere. You know, minimum holiday and all these kind of basic things that were not there when the kind of industrial revolution and everything started, they have been kind of secured. You know, we have, uh, what's it called, uh, parental leave payments. We have, you know, like sick leave. You, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff that we get. Of course, we work for it and we pay into this, you know, mutual fund that finances this. But on the other hand, and then this article was saying, and it's probably written by someone who would be called a right-wing extremist right now, but uh, I, I don't remember who wrote it, but it, that person said that they've kind of done with the list what the risk is that they will now start with stuff that isn't really going to benefit the majority because all the, these things were good for society as a whole. And they obviously needed to continue to be voted because they cannot just say, yeah, we're going to give you one extra day of holiday because with that, then there will be 365 days of holiday in the end. So they had to find new topics to kind of drive on. And what I feel has happened over over time now is that what you would call like a traditional left, middle left, they have abandoned those basics and they have done it some time ago, and they've gone on to some other topics that are actually, many of them, very detrimental to the to the people that, that needed them, you know, so let's say the working class. So uh, if you take, for example, energy prices now, like in the name of, of, of global warming, it is kind of okay that energy is more expensive, but that's going to harm, and the people who are, saying that it's okay, the people who are closing down the nuclear power plants in Germany, they are left-wing politicians that are actually making decisions and policies that harm most the ones that got them in there, you know, in the or were supposed to be their supporters. And, and it's like the left has abandoned the left somehow, and that has created like a space where you now see actually people that are kind of very much on the right side, like when I mean like, you know, free enterprise and, and, you know, build your own life from your own effort and work for you, be responsible and blah, blah. They are actually appealing to this group of people that are the lowest paid and, and so on because the others have just kind of left the ship and they're just kind of floating somewhere in the sea and they're waiting for someone to come and help them, you know? And it's such a, it's such a fascinating thing how... And, that, I, and I think kind of speaking to your description of the pyramid in the way that, yeah, you have, and that's what I feel we are. We have, we have created like an um, educated elite on top that is kind of in some holy matrimony with business and big, big business. And then below that you have some people that would like to get to that position, but to get there they need the public to kind of they need to weaponize the public to against them, and they're doing that now because they're. I think I think if this if this goes on now, like the situation we have now, that we have these catastrophic governments everywhere that are just taking decisions that harm the ones that are least able to pay. Like it's fine for me if the energy goes up twenty, thirty, forty, fifty percent. I don't care, but I know that there are people here, and I'm, there are more of them than me. Mm-hmm. So they they you know. We're gonna have a huge right wing, I think, like wave 
throughout if this if we're in this situation for i don't know two three four more years mm-hmm. high inflation high energy prices all that you know someone's gonna come in and say listen i'm gonna change this i'm gonna do that and we're gonna vote that person you know sure and i i think it's one of the situations where i don't, I don't know if you've uh i heard this in like psychology 101 class basically where if you had a, a group of monkeys and you uh you know, I think it was like they hung a banana from the top of the cage and they put like electrical wiring to it. They would get shocked if they touched the banana, right? Mm. Or climb a ladder. I don't remember. It's been a long time. But anyway, uh, the threat was very real in the first generation of monkeys. And so what they did was they taught their kids, don't ever go up there. It's dangerous, right? And then, you know, after a few years or after a few generations, whatever, they turned the electricity off. It's no longer dangerous. But that that story is passed down for generations to generations to where we just know that that is a dangerous thing, whether or not, you know, no one's gone and confirmed it <laughs> for mm. a long time. But um, so when we're born, you know, we we see that there's a government, there's people in charge of us, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way it's always been, and that's just the normal way things are. And that, you know, we have a government that we're told is to take care of us. You know, if we're sick, if we're hurt, if we can't work, we've got this, this, this safety net, we've got this... Uh, almost parental figure of people who's going to tell us what's right, what's wrong. And that's just become very normal for us. And, but what it's just, there's no obligation for, for some people to take care of other people. Mm. Right. There's no like, (laughs) and really the government was, it's just like, if a group of people have most of the resources and the money, they're they're It's in their best interest for everyone else to be, satiated to be generally uh okay enough to where they're not you know burning down the castle yeah right and so there's this this border of behavior is is kind of dictated by the government's fear of its people mm. right and over generations i mean especially in the last 50 years maybe 100 years you know the government has much much less to worry about you know it, you you don't have I mean everyone's just happy to sit at home and get fat and watch Netflix you know what what do they have to be afraid of mm. right and so you'll I think you'll notice and I think you are noticing that their actual obligations to provide good government services or to provide a logical I don't know solution to problems is zero I mean they have all the resources they have the money they have the prestige. They've got everything. They're really, their only concern is that we don't go and burn down the castle, but we're, I mean, have you, have you looked at people lately? It's, yeah, they're not going to burn anything yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so there's no pressure that's saying that you actually have to do a good job as a politician. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, I don't know. I think we're watching that whole system kind of collapse in real time. And I'm less worried about it in the Czech Republic. Like, like you said, energy costs go up. We, there's going to be... I think at least in Europe, or at least maybe more central Eastern Europe, that people aren't going to stand for that shit. People are going to no, burn shit yeah, down. Yeah, because <laughs> the, here you have people that actually suffer. I mean, like, I, I'm from Iceland. It's a, the most spoiled nation in the world. And, like, people are there traveling like never before, even though everything is more, you know, like, it doesn't it, it doesn't dent, dent anything, you know. Like, they're just having a great time, you know. And, like, it's super. But here I know, like, I know people here who 
who are telling me that the butter has gone up 10%, now I have to buy margarine, you know, like, and what effect, okay, margarine is poison, you know, butter is healthy, margarine is poison. So now you you made these people switch to, uh, uh, you know, uh, inferior nutrition because of stupid COVID decisions of printing money that is now we're paying through inflation. These people, they, they, they won't take it forever, you know, it's, 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 it's clear, and they, they, like, they will vote, if they can't vote, then they will do something else, you know, because they, they, there are actually people who can't afford food mm-hmm. and they, or they can't afford, uh, afford shelter, you know. In a vacuum, I would, I would say that I'm much less worried about the Czech Republic than America. Mm-hmm. In, but the, the caveat to that is that if America goes down, <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff goes fucked, down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. <coughs> but I was thinking about that actually talking because, and I, I kind of want to tie that a little bit to your military background. I mean, and I, Alex, I wouldn't even call this a rabbit hole. Yeah. These, these are the conversations and the logic that I think a lot more people should be thinking instead of just being spoon-fed some bullshit. But that's a whole different topic. because This is not a rabbit hole. You don't need a tin hat to understand that people with power and money want to have more power and money, and mm-hmm. they will just do the bare minimum to stay there. Sure. Anyway. I would do that if I was if was if I, if I was there. I would do exactly the same. Sure, um, but talking about the U.S. going down and now, like because yeah, you spent five years in the military, and I was actually thinking about it in the morning um, when I was walking the dog. That I I I I feel like it's kind of the last song before the discos open or, or turn on turns on the, the closest sorry and turns on the light for the U.S. in in some way to exercise their military power um, because if you if you, I kind of feel like there is some sort of a meltdown culturally and I don't think that in I don't know 50 years or 100 years from now that that the US will be able to even man their military because you know either health issues or the condition of the of the people or mental issues or they will all be trans people and they they don't want to go and fight mm-hmm. because i think now the ideology is very much built on that we can all be friends but we can't it, there are going to be wars and if we are not r- ready to to fight them then we're going to be taken over by somebody else and there's you know billions of people around the world that want the life that we have and they're willing to come and take it so in some way we have to defend that if we want to if we want to protect some sort of a status quo and i was thinking about like is it is it kind of now for the U.S. in the next I don't know ten years to go and and fight some war that creates a new stability or new balance for I don't know whatever against China or Russia or who, whoever is the aggressor or oh the, we'll be the aggressor but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah that, or whoever they will make the aggressor and uh, or are they you know do you know what I mean and you've been in the military you know how it is I mean it's not like it's not like an easy thing right. It's discipline. It's uh, it's everything that we're saying is toxic masculinity. It's it's all the stuff that we're saying is wrong. That's what you need to be to be in the military, right? Yeah, sure. And I I don't actually know if my military experience is the relevant. You know, I, I think I've learned a lot more that's relevant to this conversation outside of the military than in. I mean, I, like, I was an office worker. Like, <laughs> yeah. but um. Yeah, but someone has to do that. Without the office, there is no war. No, no arguments with that. But. No. Um. Hmm. So, first thing I, I'll say is that um, 
this is so I do believe that the the West is in decline to say it lightly. I do believe that our culture is breaking down and that it's going to take a lot of other stuff down with it. But I also think that even at operating at 10% capacity, it's just, there's not an easy, no, no one's going to easily come and take over America. Right. Cause we, we're good at creating problems, but we're also pretty good at solving problems. And uh, we are pretty reliant on technology solving a lot of our problems. And, um, no, we're we're not going to have as many people joining the military, and they're already. It's not fifty year problem; it's a now problem. The recruitment numbers are abysmal for recruiting in the military, but we can blow shit up with drones now. Mm. <laughs> uh, we're going to see a lot more of this this automated warfare. I have no doubt. Um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on just the fact that everyone in America is is fat and doesn't want to fight as the thing that's going to bring down America. And I also don't think that it's going to be like a Decline is a slow process, right? It's so slow that you probably, if you're not paying attention to it, you don't even realize it's happening. Mm, it's like boiling a frog. Yeah, boiling a frog for a really, really long time. And the, <laughs> um, but it, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot changing in right now that doesn't point to, okay, America might be collapsing, but it's collapsing maybe slower than everyone else. Mm. So the relative position of America might not be uh, due to a radical realignment like a lot of people. At least you still have productivity there. I mean, like, the, the, it's still a productive economy in a way that, you know, people are creating value and, the, the, you know, like, there is a lot of value creation that happens in the U.S. The question is just then how is it spent? Sure. Uh, so there's that, there's the economic part, but there's also the military part. Mm-hmm. Like um, one of my favorite favorite jokes I heard during the, when the Ukraine war was the, the, the topic of the day was, um, uh, you know, something like the U.S. is about to show Russia why they, they can't afford health care. We have, uh, we put a lot of, a lot of money into defense. And so even if, if you know, Rome is burning, the, the the military is still yeah pretty pretty formidable and the, you're, we're going to see a lot of shifts in the economy um, already happening but over especially over the next decade to where I would say the era of kind of globalization is is ending um, mm. to where you know after after uh, World War II and we kind of decided that the best way to stay friends uh, with our neighbors was to do business with them because I mean if you think about one of the core parts of colonialism was you had, you had uh, the U- if you had Britain and you had France and they went to war all the time, you wouldn't want to have complex economies, interconnected economies, because mm-hmm. every time you go to war, they have this this uh, this power over you. Well, we'll we'll cut off the wheat or we'll cut off yeah. whatever. And so that's kind of one of the, the inspirations for colonialism. Where okay, well, I can't trade with France, but I can go, you know, conquer this little island. And uh, mine their resources, and the relationship is not like neighbors, but it's definitely like a kind of uh, you know state and colony kind of relationship where it's, it's pretty one sided. Mm. And so you know they're they're never going to go to to war with us because it's, it would be suicide. And so so you kind of had these kind of uh, everyone the the great powers would have their little territories and their colonies and to secure the resources and to secure the resources without having to uh, play nice with mm. the other great powers, right? Mm. So you could still hate the French. You could, still hate, you could still go to war with them, and you know, basically, you would still have access to mm. whatever materials you would need, right? And so, kind of moving away from that system, we'd say, okay, well, let's actually um, 
have a more global economy. Let's let's have more uh, interconnected economies. And uh, we saw a lot of advantages of that system. I mean, mm. there's plenty of disadvantages, but the the you know global GDP skyrocketed. Right? Mm. And so we kind of since uh, you know, during the Cold War and since World War II and during the Cold War, you know, the U.S. kind of uh, helped build this new kind of globalized system to where you can kind of trade with anyone and the, the, the U S Navy would basically stop the pirates or stop, you know, military aggression because I mean, it was, it was a pretty big deal back then. If you're sailing resources from, from one country to another, like it was very interceptable. Right. Mm. And you had to have military protection for that. And so kind of as the U S became the predominant military force, um, after world war two, we kind of in a way bribed the world to be on our side against, um, the, the Soviets and said, okay, well, Anyone in the world can trade with anyone, and uh, with the backing of the U.S. Uh, Navy, and that you know, you don't have to worry about people sinking your ships. So you can kind of set up these complex trade routes, and the kind of the birth of this kind of globalized interconnected system was was developed, and that's kind of all ending, right? Mm. Um, and I think it's pretty much being turned off on purpose, but because certain countries uh, like China, being the top one, was really really advantaged by that system. Like if you look at a map, and you look at China, and you see that they are just surrounded on, from the co- from the coast and their waterways. They're just surrounded by countries that hate them. Mm. <laughs> and so, getting out of this like first island chain is actually really really difficult in a time oh. of of, of uh, military aggression, right? So, China was really able to benefit from a more globalized uh, system of trade, and they obviously uh, their GDP shot up, and. I would say that the U.S. is now saying that, oh, well, if they're going to start competing with us and stuff, then let's turn off. Let's let's go back to the system where you actually have to back up your your economic prosperity with military might. Mm. Right. And so I, I think we're going to see a lot of I mean, we're already seeing it where a lot of the labor and stuff in China, the manufacturing stuff in China, there's a big push in the U.S. to bring it back. Mm. Right. Because we for the last 50 years, we've depended on third world's to um do stuff to do cheap. stuff for us and mm. we we decided we wanted to be patriotic and we wanted to build our own third world at home yeah <laughs> so but yeah. but but that's um but I've, th- i've thought a lot about this like so let's say now that uh, china and india had a military alliance mm-hmm. and then they would invite mexico to join mm-hmm. and and part of the deal would be that china and india would put you know weapons into mexico Mm-hmm. What would what do you think the U.S. would do? If they tra- have this Monroe Doctrine, I think it's called, uh-huh. where they say that anyone who enters in a, a sphere of influence of the right. U.S. he shall be att- that shall be deemed an aggression. Do you th- do you think that that in the same way as if Russia felt threatened by NATO coming into Ukraine and into the Baltics, do you think the U.S. would respond in in a similar way? Oh, absolutely. And I think mm. that I think. Um, So I mean, I, I think that's why kind of we had so many kind of covert and not so covert activities in South America is for that to be possible, you know, Mexico has to be um, willing to, to to be that kind of partner. So basically that they would feel that they would not um, be a teammate of the U.S., but would rather be a teammate of China and India. Mm. And so and a lot of that, the only, one of the only reasons that it would happen that way is if we had such big ideological differences to where they would... Um, they'd be more susceptible to 
wanting to put Indian missiles in in, in Mexico. And so uh, you know that's we. I mean, it's a very hypothetical case, no, 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 unlikely. No, no, no. But I'm just thinking because you know, like it's so. It's a, for me. It's a very much of a simplification. It's never right to attack a country. I mean, it's never right to kill people, whoever they are. But it's a very simplified version, just to to look at an isolated event versus looking at it as a it's a reaction or as a one point on a timeline of something. You know, because history is not what happens like only in the books it's what's happening today you know what i mean and mm. uh, so i often thought about this with the us because i mean the us has only nations that are on their side around them mm-hmm. and they have secured that with influence and infiltrating and and stuff like that like you say with south america i mean like the cuba missile crisis in 60 whatever it was 62 or 3 or whatever that was an example of what the U.S. would do, and they were they were putting the missiles to Cuba. It's not like they were putting them, I don't know, to to Mexico, to the border with California. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it's about as close. Yeah, <laughs> actually, geographically, uh, distance-wise, it yeah. is. But but how is that when you were in the military? So, is there an ideology there that is preached? Are you told this is the enemy? Um, not not, not really. No, I mean, so I w- I was in. So I joined in, I graduated high school in 2005, and I joined that year. Mm. Um, so I was in from 2005 to 2010. So it was still very much like post 9-11. So and I guess in, in that way, you know, we, not just in the military, but just as a uh, culture in the U.S., we very much had in our minds that, you know, the, the, the Muslim world was was an enemy and stuff like that. So mm. I guess to that point, sure. Um, but it I, I see as much indoctrination in, in corporate in the corporate world as I do in the military. I don't think it's mm-hmm. anything different. Mm. Um, it, but you know, the military is a pretty special case because it's really they prepared you to kill people, and not just like how to aim the gun properly, but like how to like get to a point. I mean, because it takes a lot to get a human comfortable killing another human. Mm-hmm. Right? If you, if I guess, if you're you're starving. Like I mean, there's there's this this there's this evolutionary instinct, instincts yeah. to where you you will kill to protect yourself or to to not die, um, but you know in the very comfortable world that we live in now, um, to to be able to kill someone psychologically, like, there's a lot of things that they have to fuck with, and if you <laughs> there's 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 a lot of um, psychological changes that are purposefully made uh, when you when you go through like basic training, so I think that part's pretty interesting. But as far as like the whole pushing some kind of cultural narrative, mm. as this is the enemy, this is not. I don't think it's done at the military level. I think it's done in like the society, uh, general, the media level. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But how like, but thinking about it, Alex. Now you're like a troubled kid in some way. I mean, sure. like, no, definitely. and, and yeah. you you never had to be responsible for anything. You were trying to fit out or fit in or whatever it is that you were trying to color your hair and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the military. Why? Why the fuck did you go to the military? Sure. Um, I don't, during this whole time, you know, during I've always had pretty good survival instincts, uh, and I had survival instincts going. You need to do something different, or you're fucked. Because I, you know, like I said, I missed I think like forty days in my last year of high school. A smoking pot every day. Like I was smart enough to know that this is not going anywhere good. Um, mm-hmm. 
and it wasn't like I, I you know, planned and researched to go in the military. I got a call one day, like in, in March of my graduating year. So I finished high school. It was two months before I graduated high school, which somehow I wasn't supposed to be able to graduate, but they let me anyway. But anyway. Um, I just wanted to get rid of you. <laughs> I wasn't oh. I wasn't a difficult kid. I just didn't mm. do any of the assignments and go to the, or go to the class. But um so they got a call, hey, we're the we're the Marine Corps. Uh we'll do this this and that. Do you want to join? And like I went and signed up a couple of days later. Uh, a big part of it, like I said, we were not we weren't poor when I was in high school, but we were still I still grew up in that environment. So like I I never expected my parents to pay for college. Mm. Um, and so the biggest thing for me was that if I went to the military, they would pay for my college afterwards. Um, and because I scored really high on all the tests, uh, I got to do some pretty cool stuff. I got to be a linguist. I got to learn a foreign language and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so so basically it was a very impulsive thing. Um, my dad was also in the military for only for two years, but he, he spoke highly of that and um, – you know, being a, a kid who felt kind of ignored by his parents, I would I wanted to score points. Score points, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did. It was a very it was very um point scoring activity, I would say. But you suffered there. Sure. Yeah. What was the suffering about? Um I if you in the military and I don't know all the branches are different. I don't know if all the branches are the same. I mean but in the in the Marine Corps it's a very like alpha male environment and it's just that is not me at all <laughs> and um was a pretty scared um socially awkward kid and you know i was 18 was so very young mm. and it was just um it was a big uh time to grow up right there's a lot of a lot of growing up to do and that's kind of what i think the so i think really highly about that experience was it was honestly a little bit traumatic mm. um I had some kind of underlying anxiety issues and kind of going through the military made those worse, like noticeably worse. But um, a really, really important thing that clicked for me was that I'm able to do hard things. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world now where it's very much preached that no one should have to do anything hard. Yeah. Right? Because there's someone in China doing it for us. Uh, not, not, so, not so much that, right? So because to have high expectations – it's not for free, right? So if I have high expectations for my kids, that means that it opens up a possibility for them to, in their eyes at least, let me down, right? Mm -hmm. So if I say, you know, if you, if you have some big challenge that you want to do, you want to start a business or something, and, you know, you, you're unsure if you can do it, one approach is to say, well, you don't have to start a business. Like, mm, you're good the way you are. Like, you know, just because you're freeing that person from from high expectations you're freeing that person from potentially failing right and so when we say things like um you know maybe i'll, I'll say weight loss because i'm i'm overweight and so it's something that i deal with and so i'm pretty comfortable talking about it but it's you can say i'm overweight and someone can say yeah you are and uh, there's nothing, you know, you're not a bad person or anything, but you are overweight. You would be healthier if you lost weight. You would be healthier if you worked out. These are all objectively, scientifically true. And um, what you're what you're telling me is that my life would be better if I made changes. That's not a revolutionary thing to say. It, at least it's not supposed to be, but it kind of is now, mm. right? Because now it's no, 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 no. You're fine the way you are, right? Don't don't try to improve yourself. It's okay. You don't improving yourself is hard. 
and you don't have to do things that are hard, right? So instead of instead of you going and it, you know struggling with the fact that you know you're having trouble with discipline or you're having trouble doing things that are physically uncomfortable or that you're having trouble setting routines, we'll just say that it's okay to be fat. But Alex, this, this it's interesting to listen to you because now you're saying what the shock for you in the military was the kind of alpha male mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if I take what I just heard you talk about now about putting expectations on people or, or, or telling people you need to work hard to be happy and to be healthy mm-hmm. and blah, 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 and, and you should do that work. That is, uh, I think, something that people would associate with alpha male or toxic masculinity even or misogynist or something like that or even prejudice or racism or whatever because probably more more of the fat people are a certain color or something you know what i mean so i i don't know you're a very you're a hybrid somehow alex because on on one hand you're telling me that you don't like masculinity or alpha male thing but on the other hand, a lot of the things that come from you are, you know, you, do you get what I mean? I do. And first, I, I, I don't believe I said that I don't like alpha male things. I was just not that personality. And you were 18 years old. I was 18 years okay. old. And yeah. uh, again, and it's not just, it's body language, it's fear of confrontation, it's being afraid, uh-huh. these kind of things. And I was all of those things, right? Um, the fact that, you would say that the people in general would think that just very neutral, your life would be better if you made better choices, if that was associated with being an alpha male. That that's We've gone way, way down. Because to me, I associate alpha male with the willingness to resort to violence, mm. to maintain kind of the status quo or to like to your place in, in a hierarchy, right? So... I, when I think of alpha male things, I, I, I do typically think of physical aggression and the willingness, if not eagerness, for confrontation and the uh, maybe a little bit more, you know, focused on actions instead of feelings or words. Mm. So I guess in that in that part, I do mm. I do believe that uh, actions and <laughs> making changes in your life are important. But I, I would I would say that that's not I would not call that alpha male behavior, for example. Mm. But uh, and in the military, what you said, like, it was kind of a traumatizing thing for you. What was the toughest part there? You know, like, what, what's the... I mean, of course, as you said, you're young and you're coming from not having any responsibility and kind of being let through on the easy way from school, from mm-hmm. your home. What was the toughest part there? Um, I just felt like a loser every day. Because <laughs> in... I was never... Um, I was never good at like physical activities like I was always a little bit slower I could do less pull-ups and like it's just not my expertise also my I wouldn't want to do a pull-up um, if I was your height sure and <laughs> you know when, when you when you look back as like an adult who's kind of gotten pretty emotionally stable you can say like yeah it just it just wasn't what I excelled at and I was in an environment where that was um really looked upon as your your worth as a person was how physically fit you were and stuff like that so it was just I, I wouldn't even say that there was something particularly wrong with me in that environment. It was just not a good fit for my skill sets and my mental state. It was just uh, kind of an environment where the those characteristics were not seen as very highly. And so I internalized that very much that I was 
a bad person or a worthless person or stuff like that. So, you know, and when you're 20, you, you deal with that kind of stuff already and just kind of had a big kind of crash course in, in a five years time of that. Mm. And so. Yeah. But you took something good away from it as well. well I lots mean, of like, good things. I'm very, very happy that I went through that. Mm. Yeah. And what are the positives? I mean, what, 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 is it, what are the traits that you kind of built? Um, at least in, in my head, I've always kind of had that I've done the hardest thing that I'll ever do. Mm -hmm. And so that any, any difficult thing that comes my way, like, oh, that's difficult, but it's not as hard as that. that that's so you a, set the bar? A little bit, yeah, really early too. Mm. Um, I have some... I'm much more confident than I was before. Uh, I, I felt that I made a, a brave decision. I, I chose something that was quite difficult, especially because of kind of my limitations or my kind of weaknesses that were very, very much exposed in that environment. So, um, and then just kind of my, my mantra that I, I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And I got that from that experience is that something can be hard. It can be scary. I might be bad at it but there's no reason not to try it or do it. Mm. And that's something that um, I think about a lot. It's, it's part of my, I don't know, a big part of the confidence I have in who I am and um, the, the willingness to take risks and the willingness to um, do things even if I don't see other people doing them. I'm, I'm willing to... to uh, talking on that. Say again? Talking about willingness to do things that you don't see other people do. Yeah. I've seen a video of you playing with uh, fire outside topless yeah <laughs> what is that well the topless part's optional um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i i've been uh sp it's called spinning poi mm -hmm. basically you put balls on strings and you uh spin them around <laughs> but with fire i mean you, you put them on fire yeah yeah i mean basically you 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 practice with socks or with rubber balls or something and the 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 actual activity or i mean it can be with um It's like Kevlar that's woven into like a ball mm. and they, you can soak it in some kind of gasoline or some kind of um, oil, lamp yeah. oil or something. And then you, you can light it on fire. And if you've spun the socks enough times, then you don't catch yourself on fire in the process. So, yeah, I've been doing that for 12, 13 years now. What is this on shamanic uh, ritual? or <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I where know. does this come from? So after, after the Marine Corps, after five years of that, um, I did pretty much the exact opposite which is I, I got really into, like, the Burning Man community. Mm -hmm. um, What is that Burning Man? Because I've just seen photos. I mean, is it, like, are people fucking there and doing drugs? And Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, that's part of that it. That sounds great. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh -huh. it's, it's a fun thing to do when you're 23 and recently divorced, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's, and, and people uh, will, people are really into it. I mean, if they're, there's, there's, there's lots of different groups in that, in that kind of community, but... Mm. Part of them are pretty pretty delusional. That no, 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 it's about it's about connection. For most people, it's about it's a party. It's a party, and it's kind of like this Mad Max setting. You know, like it's in the desert. But that's that's what's really cool about it. And you know, I dismissively say it's just a party. But there's some there's some really really cool things about the community. But a lot of people are dishonest with the fact of that the drugs and the sex is a really big attraction of it as well. Mm. Um, but the part that, besides that, it's also Really, a really big um, practice of being self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. So you go there and um, supposedly commerce is banned, right? You can't buy things. Everything you need, you have to bring with you uh, or, or someone can share with you. But again, that, 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 the whole concept falls flat when there's plenty of people selling drugs there. So mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, 
Um, and, and so, and so basically, again, <laughs> besides the military, this was also something that kind of helped me learn that I could be self-sufficient. Um, and it was kind of a social group that I kind of fit in. Cause you know, a lot of things I didn't fit in the military was because of not being super, what I called alpha male. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is not a problem in this community. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, um, a really interesting way to spend your, your mid twenties. Mm. Um, and then, and the fire dancing or whatever you, you what did you call it? What's yeah, it yeah. called? It's called poi, P-O-I, poi spinning. Poi, yeah, th that's kind of comes out of that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh -huh. it's, it's, I, I picked it up there, I, and maybe other people do it that that aren't part of this community. But every person I've met that spins poi had some connection to to Burning Man or something like that. But uh, but there's people who do it all over the world, so it must not just be the Burning Man. But uh, I think. Um, but that's like the Mecca, the Holy I, Grail. That's where I picked it up from. I yeah. guess that's all I can say. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, so you, so wait. So you have, you have stages. You're, you're kind of an abandoned, ignored kid. Mm. Then you go into the military. Mm. Then you go sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Well, you'd be disappointed. It's not really rock and roll. It's a lot of uh, electronic music. But yeah. 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 Uh, electronic rock. Yeah. And <laughs> and then you get out of that and decide to be a copywriter. Yeah, sure. Yeah, a little, couple things in between. So, I got really into the, the the sex and drugs. Not so much the music part, but um, to a point where it got to be kind of a big problem, um, because again, we I got out of the military, and so they're then they pay for your university or college, and not only do they pay for the tuition, but they also give you um, pretty good money, monthly money to live on, and so I barely went to class, and so I basically just got four years of government funded party time in my mm -hmm. young and mid 20s so very very fun part of my life um but then that time ended and it wasn't you know i didn't really plan for it to ever end and so then i had to get a job and then i was working weekends and then like all of the fun stuff i was doing had to stop because i had to be sober during the day mm. and um yeah and then turns out that being an adult kind of sucks sometimes <laughs> and uh especially when you don't kind of plan ahead and so I kind of ended up in a situation where I had a worthless degree in psychology, which in itself doesn't have to be a worthless degree, but most degrees in America now are worthless. And then... Um, Why is that? Uh, because it's a business. Because mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, really, it's really interesting. The school is a business to, just to kind of sell you the degree in a way. Sure. And, and banks to sell you a loan. Because, yeah. mm. I mean, you... <laughs> There's another... We can go on for a long time on this topic, too. But... Um, you know, you can't change. There's, there's only if you think of a distribution of like a class or hierarchy distribution, right? And say we see that the top thirty percent uh, lives an enjoyable life. I want to be in that top thirty percent. And so, if you say that the ticket to the top thirty percent is this college degree, um, and that anyone can do it, and mm. we'll even give you a loan to do it, right? Well, it turns out that that number of slots in the top 30% is very fixed. And if you sell a ticket to the top 30% to 60% of the population... They will just move the 30% somewhere else. It just doesn't work, right? Uh, and then and then when you have um, kind of a guaranteed loan that you can get from the government to go to school, then there's no disadvantage for the school to just double, triple, quadruple the cost of the education mm. because, A, these kids are idiots. They're going to take a loan. They're not going to ask too many questions about it. Um, 
And you know, it's just it's very similar to healthcare where if the primary way people pay through it is through insurance, they don't really look at the bill, they don't really mm-hmm. understand the bill. Um, it's not your money, actually. Right. It's and someone so, else's. So you can charge kind of whatever you want, and it's the normal effects of economics to where if you raise the price too much, people aren't going to buy it. Yeah. A, you have a big, strong cultural push because we've told ourselves that this is the the way to be a success in America. Mm. So you have that big, I mean, that's stuff like the best sales technique in the world. <laughs> and then uh, that plus a government-backed loan, which you'd be interested in knowing that your student loans are like the only, one of the only loans that you can't, um, basically, uh, declare bankruptcy on mm-hmm. credit cards. You can just be bankrupt, and you don't have to pay the credit cards anymore. Oh, yeah. Buy student loans, right? Yeah, and now they just wrote off a big portion of them. Actually, not that big of a portion. I think um, up to, uh, sure up to ten thousand. I think it's up to ten thousand dollars of student loans. Yeah. Um, okay, so how do you end up in copywriting? I mean, what, what, is that a calling for you somehow, or is that a a way that you can? I don't know, make a living without having to do pull-ups. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically, yeah. No, it was, um, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I've always been pretty good with words. Um, again, I, I have a pretty, having a lot of experience with emotional manipulation makes me really, really good at marketing. Mm. <laughs> so I, I had some, like, uh, natural skill sets that, that support it. But, you know, when I went to Czech Republic, I came without a job, without a plan. I was a pretty impulsive person. Calmed down a bit lately, but, um, and so first I was just an English teacher because um, it's an easy way to come in here somehow, and there's always demand. Yeah, and I would say anyone who's struggling in America, like, have you thought about just leaving America? Because you're being a native English speaker uh, is more valuable to you, um, you know, obviously outside of, of America mm-hmm. than pretty much any four-year degree that's not like STEM, mm-hmm. right? So your most valuable skill set you already have you're, and you're perfect at. And if you just go to a different, a non-English speaking country, you can build a really, really nice career and life for yourself um, with skills that you already have and don't have to go to school for. Mm. So, so, so that was that was really nice. I came here, um, taught for a few years, and taught at a bad school, then taught at a good school, and then uh, at the good school started teaching a lot of business people, and then eventually hopped from a school to working at a company, teaching people in the company. Um, and once I was already at the company, then it was, you know, can you help us with our website? Can mm. you help us, uh, does this, it, you know. It's kind of random, one thing led to the other. Yeah, proofreading a lot in English, and then uh, specifically working on like, going from the Czech version of websites to English version. Uh, and then I started doing that for marketing agencies, not just a company, and then, uh, Eventually, start getting more into like LinkedIn and helping people sell things on LinkedIn, building sales campaigns on LinkedIn, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of there was no plan. It was kind of do whatever the easiest thing was to get money at the time, and then once you know, once you have that, find something even easier, then even easier, and then at this point, it's basically working from basically home, um, you know, a few hours a day, <laughs> just. <laughs> writing in my native language and apparently that's valuable to people so that's pretty cool yeah but it wouldn't be valuable unless you have something as you were saying yourself some characteristics within you that make you capable of writing uh something that gets through because you know like right now the availability of text and messages that we're getting Mm -hmm. everywhere is enormous you know so so you actually have to be pretty good 
to write an effective text. You really don't. <laughs> oh, you, great. No, it's, um, <coughs> it's really difficult for companies to know whether they have good marketing or not because it's a skill set that, I mean, if you're, Anyway, I'm not. I'm a pretty good marketer. I'm pretty good at what I do, but um, you don't have to be good at what you do. You, in fact, <laughs> I've worked with so many people and so many companies that you would think are like experts at what they do, and a lot of people in general are pretty incompetent. And um, but no, it, you being a native English speaker, just just writing in native English in a non-English speaking country. Like yeah, that, that that puts you in the top ten percent already. Yeah, right? but but yeah, obviously. But on the other hand, the content that you're putting out for your customers that are on a global market, mm -hmm. they 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 it wouldn't work if you were not skilled. If you there wasn't some X factor in whatever you do, I guess. I guess I because, hope so. Because uh, because. <laughs> You're not just competing against the people here who are not capable of forming a sentence in English. You're, mm. you're competing globally, right? With your LinkedIn is not specific Czech LinkedIn. You know, it's a it's a global marketplace, right? It definitely is. Um, I mostly focus on Czech companies, though, mm. and I think a big part of you know a lot of people, a lot of the companies want investors in the U.S. And mm. so, me being American has a, a really big advantage to that too. Yeah. Um, no. But yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've been doing this for five or six years now, and you do learn. I mean, I hope I've learned yeah. <laughs> some things over the last five or six years, and I've you know, so I. But you know, it's it's, I would I wouldn't say that success, um, means that you're definitely good at what you do. No, no. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's about being at the right place at the right time and being good at sales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, uh, how is it going now? Like because you're mainly in tech and IT, and and all we see is like yeah, Google is firing five thousand people and blah blah blah. How 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 is this industry right now? Do you see a decrease? Tech's gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there. We think of layoffs. We think of oh, grandpa got laid off at the steel mill, and now we're all gonna go hungry. This is a person making half a million dollars a year, mm. <laughs> who's gonna get another job in the two weeks, right? So it's, yeah. they're they're gonna be fine. Um, and again, if you look at like uh, tech hiring over the last two years since COVID, uh, I think they most of these big companies doubled and then recently trimmed five or ten percent. Right? So then so, there is a net increase actually in employment there over the last two, three, four years. A, a huge, huge, huge one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we don't see whenever they hire a hundred new people. We only see when they fire a hundred people. <laughs> and again. Uh, these are very, very highly in-demand skill sets yeah. uh, for very, very well-paid people. Like yeah. these are, these are, they are going to be fine. Yeah. In fact, it's 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 interesting because you know we have a big wave of of tech people laid off right when kind of the AI revolution is starting. You're going to see a lot of these people go into startups. You're going to see a lot of these people build their own companies. Yeah, like these these are going to be the top three or four percent of most successful people in the world so that they're going to yeah, be yeah and 10 years from now we're going to hear stories about people who started out now after sure. being laid off went in to do something with ai is ai going to kill your field writing um i, I think i'm going to be fine but mm. uh, it's going to so but it can help you it can enhance you and yeah sure so i already i already um i i know that the so just to be clear so we're talking about ai generative text so mm. Uh, I already kind of use them in my normal workflow. They're not quite good enough to where 
they can they'll get you started right and but it, like and maybe you'll get a sentence or two that you can copy and paste but for the most part they're not going to write what mm. you need to to write <laughs> i try i try every day i say can you write this post for me no nah, i still can't i look forward to when you can um but no what the what the um but there's there's going to be kind of big advancements in these it's going to move very quickly so most of these tools are built on gpt3 mm. which is a, a large language model um basically it, it it read the whole internet and just like autocorrect on your phone or like text prediction on your phone if you write these three words it has a good idea what word number four should be right so that's it's it's not a thinking technology. It's not like an oracle. It's no, just it's just a logic, logical, sure. Yeah, sure. predictive. Sure. But uh, what's what's really interesting is that all of marketing or a lot of marketing is basically works the same way, where most most people just find out what works and then what everyone keywords. tries to do it, mm. right? And so, it. But these these tools, like I, I've seen more. I, I do a little bit of graphic design as well, like. Um, Mostly just so I can do a lot of social media stuff and video content stuff all on my own, because uh, being uh, BPD, <laughs> I have to kind of build a very kind of unique life and unique world around me, so where I can mm -hmm. kind of. Um, anyway, that's I don't know, but um, so yeah, so I've seen really really big big progress in tools like like Canva, which I, I used to use Adobe products, and they're much more much less user friendly, for example, mm -hmm. much less beginner friendly. And uh, Canva is, is amazing. Like, yeah, it's really, I, I really, use it. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So we see, and so we see that. Um, I also saw kind of the big wave of um, translator technology. So I've been here for seven years, and I've seen how far it's come, going from Google Translate from Czech to English and English to Czech. I watched it go from completely unusable to ninety-nine percent correct mm. in the last seven years. DeepL is another good tool for that. Yeah. And so I actually think that the translation software is a really good precursor for this uh, text and image generation because even to this day I still get paid to do translations and like it's not a secret I, I use translation software for that but it's not like oh, I, yeah but why wouldn't you I mean it's like I would use a dictionary sure. 50 years ago anyway you know like that's a modern-day dictionary but it's not enough to just run the text through like the part mm. that I get paid for is that if it's 95% correct I know which 5% is wrong yeah and, and, and the system how, won't recognize that. and I can fix that 5% mm. right so it's gonna be it's gonna be very similar. It's gonna make it. I I know my job is gonna be a lot easier in the next five years when these tools come out. Um, they're absolutely not gonna replace me, me specifically. I guess I don't know about everyone else because a I can still sell it, and b because you if you don't know marketing and you don't know copywriting, okay, you put it through the machine and it gives you what it says is good. How do you know it's good? Yeah, because the machine says so. The yeah, machine's yeah. trying to sell yeah. subscriptions, right? So. To, to be kind of in a position where you can say, evaluate the output, say, yes, that's good, yes, that's bad, or there's still always going to be room for, for people like that. Mm -hmm. And um, since I know it's coming. <laughs> but the rest, you know, the 95% that won't survive in this world, they can watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they have lots of choices when yeah. they can watch. Yeah. You know. Alex, I think we're good for now. What, what, how's your weekend looking like? What are you going to do? Yeah, so... I've got a very pregnant wife, and so mm. our weekends, are, and I've got a three-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, and a uh, dog. And a dog, yeah. Um, so we we try to go on a little adventure every every weekend. Uh, my, my wife learned to drive over the last year. 
Okay. And so we. Uh, so is the adventure her driving or the destination? Yeah, it's 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 both. Definitely, it's definitely both. Uh, we joke because in in the Czech Republic, like the student driver look uh, sticker or whatever. Yeah. It's like a, it's, it's a, Well, it's a Z. Uh huh. It's like for uh, Zachatnik. You know? Really? And so it's the same like Russian Z. So uh huh. I, so I told her I don't know what's more dangerous, her with the Z on the car or the Russians with the Z on yeah, their yeah. car. <laughs> so. Um, but no, so we we'll tip, we find something like a little zoo or something where we can take like, the, mm -hmm. uh, like our, our daughter. Um, we try to do something like that every every Saturday. And then uh, Sunday, we I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how the weather's going to be. So, yeah. Probably shitty like it is now. Mm. It's, been, it's been very depressive lately. Alex, great to have you. Thanks for coming and, and uh, spending time with me. Uh, we ended up talking about completely different things than <laughs> I planned, but uh, it was a good talk. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Bye.